What's up, folks? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Matt Sports House. I am your host, Matthew Anderson. We have a special guest on today, and I don't want to waste too much time. I'm ready to get into the conversation, just like I know y'all ready to hear. So without further ado, come on in my sports house. So like I said before, like I said before, we have a special guest, Tim Frisbee, on today who played at South Carolina. How are you doing today, uh, Tim? Oh, man, I'm doing great, man. You know, not a, not a good uh, night for us last night, but, uh, you know, uh, all, all uh, said, uh, everything's good. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely a <laughs> struggle last night. Uh, but just to, so you can let the audience know, what position and what years did you play at the University of South Carolina? All right. Yeah, I, I, I played at South Carolina from uh, uh, 2004 and 2005. I played a year for uh, Coach Holtz, a year for uh, Coach Spurrier, and I was a, a wide receiver on that team. I'm sure the campus looked, and I know Williams Bryce looked a lot different back then, right? Yeah, everything was just, uh, the transition was just starting. Uh, under Holtz, we kind of moved uh, to a new weight room uh, in 05. Uh, uh, Spurrier changed a lot of stuff in the stadium. A lot of uh, attitudes towards um, teams we were playing. It became a more SEC focus under Spurrier and less a, a beat Clemson focus. So, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of changes went on within those two years. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, those are definitely some heavy adjustments. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get started talking about yesterday's game. The University of South Carolina did, in fact, lose the matchup. I guess lose is an understatement with the final score against Texas A&M. Uh, the number five team in the country, the number five team in the country with the final score of 48 to three. Ryan Helensky did in fact get into some playtime after Colin Hill just wasn't getting the job done. It seemed to me that Texas A&M like kind of looked good in all aspects. It was almost like a practice to them. It was like, they were just excited. You know, they, the guys are catching the balls. Kellen Mond's throwing it around pretty well. He went 16 for 26 for 224 yards and four touchdowns. Isaiah Spiller had 18 carries for 131 yards. He actually seemed to be hurt, you know, every single time he went down. It seemed like he stayed down for a little while. But what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, they, they kind of dominated every aspect of the game. They dominated both sides of the line uh, in the trenches. Uh, you know, defensively, South Carolina wasn't able to, which is not surprising. Uh, it's been happening all season, not been able to uh, get too much of a pass rush on anybody, regardless if they had four or five hats in the box. Uh, really didn't matter. Uh, not uh, not able to generate a pass rush, you know. Offensively, the blocking schemes uh, weren't there. Uh, not really opening holes for Harris uh, to run. They strung it out when he bounced outside. So uh, other than that one uh, twenty-yard run he had, uh, not too much uh, going on there either. And uh, you know they utilized their tight ends, uh, utilized their wide receivers. Everything <laughs> was clicking for Texas A&M last night. Yeah, it seems to me that USC's kind of most consistent guy has been Kevin Harrison. Shaw Smith plays pretty well in some games, but he yeah. wasn't really able to get anything going because they weren't able to get any kind of push. Yeah, yeah. Shaw Smith, what did he do? What did he uh, end up the night with as far as receiving yards? Not that well, I'm not quite sure. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but uh, quite sure it wasn't a, a lot. And obviously Harris was bottled up all night. What'd you say? 13 rushes for 39 yards. Yeah, uh, have him bottled up really good. Uh, Hill. Obviously, not being a mobile guy, 
to, you know, he's not uh, going to have any escapability, no maneuverability in the pocket. Uh, so he was kind of confined. You saw in a couple plays where they kind of flushed him and he might have been able to pick up the first down with his legs. He wasn't even attempting it. So, uh, yeah, just, um, you know, something South Carolina has, is going to have to figure out as far as going forward. Uh, do they want to go the opposite of Hill and try using Doty, who can use his feet? And even though we don't know what type of army he has yet, or do they want to go with uh, Halinski? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. A lot of things going to happen this week as far as decisions being made. Yeah, because Doty was a very highly recruited quarterback coming out of, I want to say, North Myrtle Beach. But with that being said, and the, I hear a lot of the South Carolina alumni being are really chanting that it's time for Muschamp to go. Do you believe that he's not the guy to get the program to the next level, or what are your beliefs? Yeah, you know, and I, I like to I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, through the season and uh, you know over the last couple of years as they were rebuilding the program. But it, it just doesn't seem like number one, uh, they're getting some talent, but it doesn't seem like the overall talent and depth is there. It doesn't, and more importantly, it doesn't seem like the development and the evaluation of players is there. And that's, that's concerning. Uh, number one, you look at the receiver core and there's nobody really standing out other than Shai Smith. We're talking about, you know, six games into the season here and nobody's still stepping up as a second receiver. Uh, you know, that's development. Uh, but it goes back to also to evaluation because looks like they miss on a lot of these guys that they're bringing in. So uh, very uh, important uh, factors in uh, whether Muschamp's may uh, retained here or not. And it looks as each game goes on, uh, looks to become worse and worse for him as far as uh, being retained. Yeah, it's definitely not been good. And then the thing is, this isn't all SEC schedule this year. Like, for example, they got Ole Miss next week. And Ole Miss, I, I remember when they played Bama, they were able to put up a lot of points on the board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we'll see what Lane Kiffin has in store for uh, next week. And I guess we'll just yeah, have to see what happens. But we're going to move to the Clemson game where Clemson did, in fact, take the loss to the Irish, the fighting Irish, with the final score of 40 to 47 down in South Bend. I thought that it was going to be the key for Notre Dame winning the game would be to keep the score kind of down. Since they are a very physical team, we like to run the ball and we, uh, really use their offensive linemen. But it actually turned out to be kind of a high-scoring affair, double overtime uh, game. Got to get this quarterback right. This quarterback's name right, DJ Uyunglele. He actually didn't play that bad, I thought, especially to be a true freshman coming and playing in this type of circumstance. And I was one thing I thought was interesting was, was he going to be able to bring the Tigers from behind two weeks in a row? Because they were behind, I think, 18 points at one point last week, but he just wasn't able to do it. Trav, they held Travis Etienne to only 28 yards on the ground. I think he had 60 yards um, passing or receiving, I guess you would say. Amari Rogers had another over 100 yard game. Cornell Powell. Which yeah, he, he can't up. even uh, Deion in that same year that DeAndre Overton to class of 2016, but I think he had to redshirt a year or so for academic reasons. Yeah, but anyway, he so. had a huge day with six receptions, 161 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, so, what do you think of the game? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, like you said, uh, uh, DJ played very well. I just call him DJU for all uh, practical <laughs> purposes. But yeah, for a freshman, 28 for 44, 439, two TDs. And uh, like you said, you thought it was going to be a lower scoring game. That surprised me. But a team like Clemson, you're going to have to keep up with the offensive pace. It's almost like that Alabama uh, Ole Miss game at the beginning of the season. They had to keep pace offensively. You knew that uh, 
once the team starts scoring, uh, either you kept pace or it was going to go downhill from there. And Ian Book uh, for Notre Dame, the quarterback, you know, he had a pretty good game himself, 22 uh, for 39 for 310. But I'll tell you, and you mentioned it earlier, it came down to that running game. Yeah. Uh, you know, 23 carries, uh, 140 yards for Williams from Notre Dame, 18 carries for 20, for what, 30, uh, 28 yards for ATN? Yes. They bottled him up. That was, the, that was the small margin. That was the difference in the game. And I think uh, Notre Dame was able to utilize their tight ends a little bit more, too, uh, than, uh, than Clemson in this game. So, uh, like you said, big games from some of the receivers for Clemson. But uh, – yeah, that, that's a game. Uh, you know, obviously, Lawrence being out, a couple of uh, injuries on the defensive side for Clemson, uh, going to be an interesting rematch, which I think is going to happen in the uh, ACC championship game to see what happens. But if Notre Dame can bring that same effort and bottling up the running game, uh, you could see a similar game there, too, that, uh, in that championship game. I would have to ask you, so let's say that, that they do end up in the ACC championship game, which is probably going to happen. And right. Notre Dame loses a close one. Do you think they're the number four team in the country? Um, it's gonna it's gonna depend depend how they lose that game. Okay. If it's a competitive game, and say it's the reverse of this game where they lose by a touchdown, ten points, they have a, a very good, uh, you know, uh, you know, very very well may get into that that college football playoff as a second ACC team. Okay. Yes. That's definitely something to look forward to. Yeah. I was wondering, I, I feel like in this Clemson Notre Dame game, nobody, everybody felt like Clemson was just going to be able to pull it out. And it kind of seemed like that at first going overtime, but Notre Dame was in fact able to get that win. And then so when you were speaking of the running back, Kyron Williams, the second, I think it was either the first or second play of the game. He had that 65 yard touchdown. And I think everybody was kind of like, all right, so they came to play today. Like this is just yeah, going to be a go. ball yeah. game. Well, well, Clemson's a, uh, a team that, if you got to punch them early. If they, if they're good, they're great front runners. If they get out ahead of you, it's, it's hard for you to catch up. You know, they really uh, are really powerful offensively. They can catch up to you. It's just, then you have to trade blows with them. But if you can get out ahead of them, uh, they're, they're capable of making mistakes like everybody else. And if you can get a couple three and outs from them, uh, which Notre Dame was able to do, uh, you can stay in the game. Then you, you have a chance down there towards the end. Exactly. And we're going to go ahead and switch to the Big Ten here really quickly, where the Ohio State Buckeyes did, in fact, beat the Rutger, beat Rutgers, so I think the Scarlet Knights, with the final score of 49 right. to 27. Justin Fields, who is going to be my Heisman candidate, that's the guy yeah, who won yeah. the Heisman Trophy, went 24 for 28, 321 yards and six touchdowns. One thing I really like about him is he's very efficient. It seems he's like every time too. he throws the ball, yeah, it's, it's, it's efficient and he's accurate. Every time he throws balls, for the most part, it's a catch. And six touchdowns week after week, he's just putting out these astounding numbers. Oh, yeah. let me ask you, how do you like him as compared to Trevor Lawrence? Um, you know, obviously, I, I think he's a little more uh, efficient on his feet. And as far as uh, efficiency and accuracy, I think they're on that, they're on that same level. Uh, I don't know what Fields was working on in the offseason, but – his accuracy and efficiency is uh, off the charts. And uh, against a Rutgers team who haven't uh, played bad this year, uh, Greg Schiano, known for his defense, and uh, he, he picked them apart like Swiss cheese. <laughs> you know, uh, a great line there at Ohio State, uh, good pocket presence, although they, you don't get much of a pass rush on them, much like Clemson. So very similar quarterbacks. I just feel uh, Fields has the edge on him right now as far as just overall – 
uh, talent. Although, you know, NFL might not see it that way right now, uh, but, you know, Fields is right there for sure. And, and definitely my Heisman uh, Trophy uh, candidate uh, front runner. Yeah, you have a really good draft class coming out this year between Trey Lance coming out of, is that North Dakota State or South Dakota State? I think North Dakota, uh, North Dakota State, I believe, yeah. Yeah, you have Isn't him. The Bison, are they the Bison? Right. Or, yeah, 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 North you got, Dakota. You got him, Jamie Newman, then you have the Trevor, Justin, and then you have the guy at Alabama. So really good quarterback class. If anybody needs a quarterback coming out, this is the year to definitely go get yeah, you. Yeah, let's not, let's not uh, slip on Matt Jones either. And, and if you're ranking – the Heisman candidates at quarterback, you know, Lawrence would fall to third behind Fields and Jones, uh, Fields and Mac Jones. So uh, in my book, I just think they've had better seasons as far as, although, you know, Lawrence is playing three quarters of a game, half a game a lot of times. So that's that sort of taking from his numbers. Uh, but uh, Jones and Fields just have been re- very impressive leading their offenses. Right. And, speak, and speaking of other quarterbacks that have been playing really well, Kyle Trask, yesterday they yeah. led the Florida Gators to the lead over the Georgia Bulldogs well, to win in Jacksonville, Florida. I think it used to be called the, co- the Florida's oldest cocktail party or the something. Biggest, like uh, world's biggest cocktail party, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Florida got that one with the final score of 44-28. Kyle Trask went 30 for 43 for the 474 yards and four touchdowns. So Florida now takes the lead over the SEC East. Do you think they have a chance to beat Alabama in that SEC championship game if it does turn out like that? Yeah, they definitely have a chance, uh, especially if they, the offense, uh, you know, stays like it has been. Uh, that was a very good Georgia defense. They just uh, disassembled. So, uh, and, and uh, Alabama has been getting better every week, but their deficiencies still were on defense. But it's you having to keep pace with their offense. So, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, Florida definitely has a shot against Alabama. Uh, especially if they keep on playing at the level they've been playing uh, this season. Uh, when you get to the SEC championship game, uh, going to be the interesting. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be very interesting down there in Atlanta. And last but not least, Shador Sanders. Did you see that Shador Sanders has, in fact, decommitted from, I think that was Florida Atlantic, and is now committed to Jackson State? I saw that. Now, is that guy a three-star or a four-star? I want to say he's a four-star. I want to I say-, say that, too, which, is, which, which gives me uh, – pause as to why he was committed to Florida Atlantic in the first place. I, so, think, uh, I think Willie Taggart is there. And I think okay. Dad has a really- yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of interesting in itself, but uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Jackson state's going to be a program under Sanders. That's going to pick up a lot of transfers from places. Uh, it's, you know, obviously he's going to have to thrive on that because his recruiting footprint is not like, you know, other power teams, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see who they get in there. And they could end up like a Liberty, like, uh, uh, you know, one of these teams who uh, have enough talent that, and being in a conference like that, where every game's kind of winnable, you know, they can be uh, right there in the mix with everybody. Yes, it's super surprising, but that's definitely something you get when you bring Deion Sanders. I mean, ticket sales will go up. They might even try to get some games on TV, and I'm pretty sure Jackson State will be playing in the spring. Yeah, yeah. So there won't even be that much football on anyway. So exactly. Deion Sanders, the appeal, he got his son. One of my guests, as a matter of fact, one of my friends, Ray Quan, came on before. And when he first said that he thought that Shador was going to uh, decommit and commit to Jackson State, I was like, can't be. Because if you looked at followed him in recruiting, he had offers from like Alabama, UCLA. Yeah. It's very rare that I feel like you get a kid in this generation to, even when you speak of fit, like go to a university whenever he could potentially be going to one of the, you know, the power five schools. 
Right. And that's like that that kid that went for basketball that chose the HBCU. But you figure, you know, that's that's probably a better avenue for a guy like that because it's he's a one and done anyway. Right. So it really doesn't matter. They're going to find you. And I guess football is getting like that. If you're good, they're going to find you. So, you know, Steve McNair proved that down at uh, Alcorn State. Uh, A lot of guys, you know, you're you're a, a, a caliber athlete like that. You're playing at a school like that. They're, people are going to find you. Exactly. So we're going to be interested to follow him throughout his collegiate career. But uh, thank you, Tim, for coming on for an episode. Uh, I really appreciate you offering your expertise, opinion. For the listeners, where can they find you at? You said, I think you spoke on a radio show earlier. Yeah, yeah. We do the uh, post game show, the, the Carolina post game show on, it's called the fifth quarter post game show. It's on 103.5 FM, WVOC. Uh, here in Columbia. I'm also on Twitter at uh, I am Tim Frisbee 89. Uh, so they could find me there, you know, discussing football uh, throughout the week. Uh, so uh, yeah, you know, uh, and I'm on ve- obviously various podcasts and uh, various uh, SEC radio stations throughout the week, uh, de- de- depending on who we're playing. So, and I usually post those onto my Twitter, uh, the interviews. I also do a segment with Mark Jones up at ESPN Upstate. Right. I mean, Mark Ryan. At ESPN Upstate, I do a segment every Wednesday at 3:20. So every Wednesday, 3:20, be sure to go check out his segment on ESPN Upstate. Also follow him on the different socials. Well, I think I said the tw- he said the Twitter account. So make sure to follow him on the Twitter account. And uh, like I said, we appreciate having him on. We are going to just say a couple of the, I'm going to just say a couple of the NFL scores, the most notable ones before we wrap it up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the, my Houston Texans did, in fact, move on to get our second win of the season, which is kind of sad at this point. We're two and six, beating the only team we've been able to beat all season, the Jacksonville Jaguars, with the final score of 27 25. Deshaun went 19 for 32 for 281 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm pretty sure Duke, uh, David Johnson has a concussion now, which is not good. But Will Fuller had a good day, five receptions, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Brandon Cooks had three receptions for 83 yards and a touchdown as well. So my Texans, uh, if we can beat one team this year, it's the doggone Jaguars. We're going to move forward where the Cowboys almost got the win today against the undefeated Steelers, but the Steelers did edge them out. As we know, the Steelers is Jalen's team from last week. I hope you all enjoyed that episode. Ben Roethlisberger went 29 for 42 for 306 yards and three touchdowns. James Conner was relatively quiet with nine carries for 22 yards, no touchdowns. Juju Smith-Schuessler had six receptions for 93 yards and a touchdown. And Deont- obviously he's a receiver. And Deontay Johnson had six receptions, 77 yards. And Chase Claypool, the guy who's really been in the news a lot as lately, as, as I would say more than any of the other receivers, uh, had eight receptions for 69 yards. So they edged out that win against Dallas with the final score of 24 to 19 once again. Now, how about this? Kyler Murray and could not, in fact, beat Tua Tungavaloa. Tua's 2-0. and In this game, he threw the ball a little bit more, going 20 for 28 for 248 yards and two touchdowns. So big day for Tua getting the win against the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, was very efficient today, going 21 for 26 for 283 yards and three touchdowns, rushing for 11, 11, 11 carries for 106 yards and one touchdown, and uh, his high receiver, the Cardinals' best receiver, 
the sound of weird saying high receiver. Anyway, the Cardinals' best receiver on the day was Christian Kirk, who had five receptions for 123 yards and a touchdown. So, like I said, big day for the car, uh, the Miami Dolphins getting that win. And now both of those teams are officially five and three. I think a lot of people were kind of concerned with Ryan Fitzpatrick to see if he was going to, when they benched Ryan Fitzpatrick for two, well, I don't think they really benched Ryan Fitzpatrick. They decided they just want to go ahead and move forward with their future. And it's been, it's proven to be good so far. I think some players probably in the locker room are even a little bit worried because they're like, wait, here, we got something going. We think we can make the playoffs. They thought they were just going to kind of throw two in and just kind of get started. Maybe he lose a couple games, but two has been proven to been winning so far. So we'll see what happens. Last score I'm going to report is the Sunday night matchup. You had the Saints and the Buccaneers. Big day for the Buccaneers. Antonio Brown was back, but it did really, that really did not matter. The Saints got the win with the final score of 38-3. to Drew Brees went 26 for 32 for 222 yards and four touchdowns. You know, on the meanwhile, Tom Brady went 22 for 38 for 209 yards and three interceptions on the day for him. Antonio Brown had three catches for 31 yards. So not the debut he was expecting with the Buccaneers team. He is living with uh, Tom Brady for whatever reason. Uh, I even saw him in the interview. He had the TB12 hat on. But you could tell on the sidelines pregame, he's ready. He's happy to be finally be back on the field after what seems like the longest offseason for him. Uh, the suspensions and then the, the being in jail and all, all type of stuff. And then lastly, but before I wrap it up, I did want to mention, because I, I forgot to say it earlier, the Notre Dame game, after they did, in fact, beat Clemson, I thought it was crazy that they stormed the field because Notre Dame has had to have a game canceled because of COVID. Clearly, your fans, because there's a decent amount of fans at the game, your fans are not necessarily have to social distance. Like, you know, you're supposed to, but depending on wherever state you're in, it's how much is really uh, being enforced. And they're going to storm the field. And you even have some security officers kind of helping the fans on the field, which I guess is good for safety measures. Well, I think they're actually event staff, but you can't storm. I know it's a big win for your program, but you cannot storm that field because if your guys get some COVID cases, you could end up having to cancel even more games. And there's really no way of being able to tell, like, you know, when the people storm the field and y'all are celebrating together, it's not like where they're like checking anybody's temperature or, you know, anything like that. And even the temperature ain't even exact because uh, you can have no temperature and still have COVID. So definitely wasn't the best decision. I'm looking to see if the NCAA or the ACC will in fact find Notre Dame, but Notre Dame is a part-time member of the ACC. So <laughs> they might jump on that boat and be like, okay, I'm not really a full-time member. So I can't really find us like that. And always want to mention that Notre Dame has the best deal as far as television possible when it comes to them having the NBC channel. Now that the game did have to go to USA because of Biden's speech, but they have the best deal possible being that they're allowed to um, have the NBC network to themselves. And I thought it was an excellent call by the uh, Tony Dungy and the rest of the broadcast booth. But that is all we have for you for this week's episode of Matt Sports House. I'm going to continue to keep bringing on guests and provide hopefully the best analysis, the analysts that I can find around here and keep giving you all information you need to know about what's happening in the sports world. So but for that, and hell, so that's it for this edition of Matt Sports House. Peace. Do my own thing in my yeah, own lane. I'm doing my own thing. Gang, gang, on the same.